Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for the privilege and the joy of gathering around the word. We ask tonight that as we uh, look into this passage from the book of Lamentations, Father, you will use it to advance your purposes among your people, strengthen us and build us up, make us more able in our uh, service and more fervent in our worship as a result tonight. And uh, again, Father, we thank you for our time together and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look tonight at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 down to 32. And this passage is not typical of what's in the book of Lamentations, but that's what makes it shine and stand out and uh, really glow for us. Uh, Reading Lamentations chapter 3 and starting at verse 21 from the New American Standard, it says this, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent, since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach, for the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. Now this glorious portion of scripture that praises God for his loving kindness and his compassion, we have to understand the historical context in which this is given. Because of the, the force of this passage is missed unless we recognize the historical context. Nebuchadnezzar in 586 has just invaded Judah for the third time. This time he's absolutely crushed Jerusalem and burned it to the ground and left nothing there. Uh, we have the historical record of that in 2 Kings chapter 25, starting at verse 8, which says this, Now on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, even every great house he burned with fire. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Then the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon and the rest of the people Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away into exile. And this is the context historically in which Jeremiah records these words for us. He's standing there in the, in the midst of this city. He's looking at the smoldering ruins of the temple and the king's house and all the great houses in the city. And as the smoke rises from them, he pens these words, Great is thy faithfulness. And unless we see the striking contrast between um, Jeremiah's environment and his heart at that time, we miss the full force of these words. 
Lamentations, the book, begins with how lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. And the book of Lamentations is called the book of Lamentations for good reason. It's Jeremiah the prophet lamenting over the fulfillment of God's perpetual warnings for years now that this was coming upon Israel if they did not repent. And now it's come to pass. And the bulk of the five chapters of the book of Lamentations are uh, an expression of grief on the part of Jeremiah, but nestled almost in the center of this is this passage that we read that refers to the grace and the compassion and the loving kindness of God. So I want to look at that tonight for that reason. The immediate context is also worth noting too, starting at the beginning of chapter 3, uh, the context that immediately precedes this passage consists of Jeremiah's lament over the um, the griefs that has come on him personally, not just on the city, which he's been lamenting for the whole time, but he's talking here about what's come against Jeremiah himself. In verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3, Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction because the rod of his wrath, meaning God's wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. And as we continue reading down there in verse 8, it becomes an expression of his feeling of personal abandonment by God. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. And the personal sufferings experienced by Jeremiah in the opening verses of this chapter are a picture of what's happening to Judah, to Jerusalem at the same time. Uh, Lamentations, or verse 14 in in chapter 3, it says, Jeremiah again says, I have become a laughingstock to all my people. They're mocking song all the day. And in the same way that Jeremiah was mocked by the people around him, Jerusalem and Judea were not mocked by the nations around them. The same thing was experienced on a grander scale by um, Judah itself. In Jeremiah 18, starting at verse 15, it says, For my people have forgotten me. This is God speaking. For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods, and they have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths to walk in bypaths, not on a highway, to make their land a desolation, an object of perpetual hissing, Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. So all the grief that Jeremiah was experiencing personally, up to and including the uh, mocking by his neighbors and so-called friends, his acquaintances, was the same thing that Jerusalem, by divine fiat, by order of God, was experiencing and would experience uh, by the nations around him. And if, you, and if you ever read Ezekiel, you find that there's great portions of Ezekiel that are dedicated to that, the mocking, the ridicule that Jerusalem is, is experiencing because they've, they've been carried away into exile by God. 
And you, Jerusalem, claim to be the follower of the one true God, Yahweh, and yet he's abandoned you. And they knew all this mocking. This is the context. This is the historical context in the destruction of Jerusalem and the local or immediate context in the mocking of Jeremiah that this passage is embedded in. And that, as I said, makes it all the more forceful for us that Jeremiah can come to these glorious conclusions about God in the midst of this suffering of the city. Before we exegete the passage and look in detail at the verses here, we should take time to look at the structure here because there are several things worthy of note in the structure of these verses. Notice that verse, verses 21 and to 32, which we read, are bookended by references to God's, quote, loving kindness and compassion. Verse 22 says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed, and I, so I want to get this right, loving kindnesses, plural, indeed never cease, for his compassions, plural, never fail. Jump down to the verse 32. And this is the, the closing verse of our passage. For, it, for if he causes grief, then he will have compassion. Sorry, fresh Bible. According to his abundant loving kindness. So the first thing to note about the structure is that it's built around these two bookends about compassion and loving kindness. And we can use that to understand that that's the core of Jeremiah's uh, words in this passage. Um, that it's God's loving kindness and compassion that's driving what Jeremiah has to say here. The second thing to be said about the structure here is that the word hope appears four times in this passage. We have to go back to verse 18 to get the verse, first occurrence. And then in the passage we read, hope is referred to three times. Or, sorry, so altogether it's four times, and it's three different, nearly synonymous Hebrew words. Even though it says hope, in our, at least in my translation, in all the occurrences, they're different Hebrew words with slightly different shades of meaning. And we won't go into the meanings too deeply, mostly because I don't know my Hebrew very well. But they're different words. Jeremiah is invoking a span of Hebrew words to give a range of meaning, a broad understanding of the hope that he has. But notice back in verse 18 that we didn't read. It says this, Jeremiah again speaking, So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope in the Lord. So the first reference, and by the way, these four uses of the word hope are the only times they appear in Lamentations. The book of Lamentations, as I said, is a grief-stricken book permeated with uh, sadness. And so it's only in this little section that we see hope expressed, and we see it four times here. But the first time it's used, it's Jeremiah's expression that he's lost hope. He's been looking around again at the burning remnants of what was Jerusalem and the temple, and he's saying, I've lost hope in God. I have nothing left, spiritually. But then he turns it around in the next couple of verses and goes into this 
uh, section on God's mercy and his loving kindness. That's the second thing to understand about the, the structure of this passage that we read. And the third thing worth noting, and, and you won't see this in yours, in, in your translation, but uh, chapter 3 of Lamentations, the central chapter in our books, uh, has 66 verses, um, or there's 66 verses in this section that uh, are laid out like an acrostic, the same as Psalm 119 is. They have different paragraphs beginning with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And we don't see that in our translations, obviously, because they're not in Hebrew. Um, but those are three things to be aware of as we go through this. It's a uh, combined, succinct, self-contained expression of grief and sad, or of, of glory to God. It's uh, the sole area where hope is expressed by Jeremiah in this passage, and it's bookended by the divine characteristics of loving kindness and compassion. With that in mind, let's enter into our discussion of the, uh, the passage itself. Verse 21 begins, This I recall in my mind, therefore I have hope. Now, as I said here, Jeremiah is doing a, a sudden U-turn or 180 from his path of lamenting what has gone on. And now he turns right around and says, This I recall in my mind, therefore I have hope. The word this there looks forward to what's coming. These things, Jeremiah is saying, that I'm going to recount for you because of this. I recall these things to my, to my mind, and because of them, I have hope. Because I'm now focused on the eternal, immutable, unchangeable attributes of God, my hope is restored. Whereas um, three verses earlier, he said he has no more hope, then he calls to mind the attributes, the glorious mercy and grace of God, and it restores his hope in God. So that's how this passage is introduced. He says, this I recall to my mind. Mind is the same as Greek. It's literally the heart, but it's the seat of intellect, the same way we think of the mind. It's the place where we do our thinking. Um, and... This is the place, the component of Jeremiah's makeup, where he is drawn, God, is refreshed understanding of God to his mind. And this reminds us, I would suggest, that um, our understanding, our, our, even our Christian faith, begins with an intellectual understanding. It doesn't start with emotion. It doesn't start with acts of the will. It starts with an intellectual understanding of the truth of God. Now, for the Catholic, it ends there. When a, a, a Catholic says that I agree that justification is by faith, and we agree with that, but we mean different things. To the Catholic, faith is simply uh, intellectual assent to the dogmas of the church, and it doesn't go beyond that. For us an intellectual understanding of the truth set forth in the word of God leads to a volitional change, an act of will to accept by faith what's set before us. But Jeremiah 2 begins with a mental understanding of the attributes of God as they're laid out. This I recall to my mind, therefore, as a result, as the result of these things, 
regarding the attributes of God coming to my mind, I have hope. Now, hope, as I said, appears four times, well, three times in the passage we looked at, four times in all of Lamentations. As I said, there are three different words with slightly different shades of meaning. Um, And Jeremiah has said that his hope has perished back in verse 18, but now he's seeing that hope restored. Uh, One word means the sure hope that comes from the immutable, loving character of God, or all the words mean that. As Jeremiah focuses on who God is and what God is and the attributes that comprise God, this hope again wells up within him. And it should be no less true of, of each one of us. As we meditate on the attributes of God, it gives us refreshed hope that everything God has said is true, everything he will say in the future is true, and we can absolutely trust in what he says. We have an everlasting hope. Um, Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. This is an example of what's called Hebrew parallelism, uh, which is common all through the Psalms, certainly, and the Proverbs as well. Any poetic literature leans on this, anything that's uh, written in Hebrew poetry. It's a good thing that Hebrew poetry doesn't rely on rhyming like so much of our English poetry, because the rhymes will be lost to us, reading it in a different language. However, the structure of Hebrew poetry relies on parallelism, on saying the same phrase or idea twice, or even its antithesis, even its opposite. But lining up these things in parallel uh, is a structure of Hebrew poetry, and Jeremiah is drawing on that in this passage. Um, And as I said before, note carefully that loving kindnesses and compassions are plural. This is not talking so much about the character of God, but the way these attributes play themselves out. The loving kindnesses day by day and moment by moment that God expresses in multiple ways in our lives. The compassions we see over and over again. It springs from the attribute of God that is his compassion. But here Jeremiah is speaking of the compassions, plural, that are the outcome of God's character. It's like... uh, In Revelation 19, it's given to us, or will be given to us, as saints to be clothed in linen, bright and clean, which are the righteousnesses of the saints. It doesn't, the white linen doesn't depict our righteousness, our God-given righteousness. It depicts the acts that we've done and will continue to do in his name. Same treatment here. These are plural words, loving kindnesses and compassions. Verse 23 They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And you see why I asked Yun to bring that hymn at the end, because this is the passage of Scripture from where that hymn draws its title. Great is thy faithfulness. And that's what we're saying about it. It's it's true of us in a Christian dispensation, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit that we're living in, and it was true back then. In Jeremiah's day as well, God is 
great in faithfulness, and it doesn't change. It hasn't changed in the 2,600 intervening years since this was penned or written down. Well, as we, as we rise in the morning, we have no idea how God will show himself to be compassionate that day. We have to be spiritually alert and discerning to see these things, to see God unfold his mercies. We're not lucky. We're not fortunate. We're blessed by the uh, unfolding compassion of God that we see. And, and we must be alert to the moving of his spirit, to his action, to his compassions, plural, in our lives. We must see these things and revel in them. Take great joy as we see the Father God working. It's also worthy of note that when Jeremiah says great, says to God, great is thy faithfulness, he's not talking about, um, uh, he's not talking about the quality. You have great faithfulness, God. We have some faithfulness, other people have more, but God's is greater in quality. It's not that he's saying the amount of faithfulness. It's, it's a quantitative word. Great, infinitely great is your faithfulness. And we struggle under the inspiration of the Spirit to maintain a faithful walk, but God's faithfulness is without limit. It doesn't change. And keep in mind, again, I go back to Jeremiah sitting in Jerusalem and watching the smoldering ruins of the city and saying, great is your faithfulness, because if God had not punished Judah, it would besmirch his faithfulness. God had promised long ago by the pen of Moses that if Israel, if the Jews were unfaithful to God and failed to follow him in obedience, then he would punish them. And if he failed to do that, he would be unfaithful. God's faithfulness doesn't always call on him for goodness and compassion. It often does. I think it mostly does. But in this case, his faithfulness required that he punish Judah. If you spent any time in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's, I think it's a 68-verse chapter, which define the blessings and the cursings to come on Israel. Blessings if they obey God, cursings if they don't. And the blessings and the cursings are all very physical, material ones. Blessed will you be in the city and in the country. Blessed will be your vine and things like that. But the first 14 verses are blessings. The last 54 are cursings. God knew from the start the path that Israel would be on. And he defined for them the cursings that would come on them from his hand as a result of the disobedience. And as I said, God in bringing destruction on Jerusalem, was simply demonstrating his faithfulness. His word can be trusted, whether it's for good or for ill for people. God knows all things and acts accordingly. Now, Jeremiah bases God's multitude of blessings on an infinite attribute of God, on his faithfulness, as Jeremiah is still, we're still considering a passage that's bookended by loving kindness and compassion, but God is faithful in that that loving kindness and that compassion doesn't change. 
these attributes for which Jeremiah is praising God, God is faithful. He's not sometimes one thing and sometimes another. His character is expressed in different ways, in different circumstances, but he's always equally merciful. He's always equally compassionate. He's always equally just. And all these things because of his ongoing unbroken faithfulness. Verse 24 goes on. Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The portion there is simply a Hebrew word that means his share. Jeremiah's share in his, is the Lord, is Yahweh. Jeremiah refers to this thought, this idea, comes from his very soul. And the soul is the core of our being. Jeremiah believed this to the very core of his being. We often think of ourselves as a body with a soul and a spirit residing within it or connected to it somehow. But it's more accurate to think of ourselves as a soul primarily. It's the primary essence of who we are and we have a body and a spirit attached. The soul is the only component of us that lasts our entire existence. It's with us from our birth into an everlasting state. Our body we will exchange at some point when we're raptured or resurrected. Our spirit was dead within us. We didn't have one when we were born. It was given to us at the moment of our conversion. So the only component of us that has an everlasting pathway that is us from start infinitely is our soul. It's the very core of our being, both temporally and structurally. And this is what Jeremiah is saying, at my very soul, at the very, in the very core of my being, um, God is my portion. God is what I need. God is what I have. It's my share. Therefore, I have hope in God. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Um, Waiting is the outworking of our hope. As we have hope in God, uh, it shows itself in our waiting patiently for him, in not being demanding of God. Bring your, your powers to bear in my situation now, God. True hope knows that these things will be accomplished, but waits on them and waits on the wisdom and the purpose of God in accomplishing these things, and trusting that God always works these things out in such a way that he is glorified, and we experience the greatest good possible. Even when we hear a no from God, or a not now, it's for our good. God always works these things for our good, and we can count on that based on his faith, faithfulness. Verse 26 goes on. It is good that he, and that he is the person who seeks him, the person who seeks God, it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Now, verses 26 down to 30, the idea of waiting on God was introduced to us 
in verse 25. And the next five verses down to verse 30 sort of describe how this waiting looks, what waiting looks like um, in its outworking in our lives. Um, and it gives instruction into what it looks like and how to live it out. To wait on God is not demanding. It does not presume that the salvation of God is ours automatically based on his love and nothing else. And there are so many nowadays who believe that, who feel free to do whatever they want, either as believers or not, because God is love, as it says in 1 John. God is love, but he's a lot of things. And uh, it's good to wait on God to express his purposes in a given situation and not to presume upon um, the grace of God. Verse 27 goes on. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. And this reminder may be included in this passage because from Jeremiah's day and before unto our day now, there is an impatience and an impetuousness in youth that goes with being young. Young people, and I am as guilty as anybody back in the days when I was young, to want things to be done right away on my time, on my schedule. And Jeremiah is saying, perhaps especially it needs to be reminded in a young person. Um, it's a good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. It's good to experience the uh, discipline of God, the slowing down, the uh, control by God in a youthful situation because that understanding is carried on later in life and carried forward. If we gain that understanding as a young man, as a youth, we can live our lives accordingly uh, as we come to understand God. It's good to learn spiritual discipline, discipline as a young person. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says, Remember also your creator, creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come upon the and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Um, experience God as a young person is what Jeremiah is saying here, and it will carry you through. Verse Verse 28, let him sit alone and silent since he has laid it on him. Now this is the second time and not the last in this passage where it refers to waiting silently, to not grumbling. In verse 26 he referred to it. In verse 28 he refers to sitting alone and be silent since he has laid it on him, meaning since God has laid this discipline, this direction, this instruction on us, silently receive it as from the hand of God, even when it involves suffering. Verse 29 says something similar. Let him put his mouth in the dust. It's an idiom that means the same thing. Let him be silent. Let him not uh, express dissatisfaction with the way God's working in his life. And this is, again, going back to the one who seeks God. God is good to the one who seeks him. And uh, he, he demonstrates his hope by waiting. And he demonstrates his waiting 
by doing so silently, by not expressing dissatisfaction with the slowness of God's actions, of the way he's acting in his life. Verse 30, let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. No matter what our circumstances, good or, ba- good or bad, God remains faithful and we can absolutely trust him. If we're called on to be smitten, if we're called on to be filled with reproach, praise God, he's taken us through that for his purposes and the outcome will be our growth and his glory. And I'm not uh, reluctant to say that. That's how God's goodness shows itself as he acts in ways that we don't understand. He receives the glory for all eternity and we receive the growth in Christ-likeness if we respond aright to God's whatever circumstances he brings in our life, especially those ones we don't like. If we receive them well, we are edified, we are built up, we grow as a result. Verse 31, For the Lord will not reject forever. And now Jeremiah returns to the promised faithfulness of God, his loving kindnesses and his compassion. No matter what God is taking us through, he will not do it forever. Certainly not for God's people. Certainly not for those who are composed the bride of Christ and are taken through difficult circumstances. The Lord will not reject forever. And it sometimes feels like it. Sometimes like feels like God has abandoned us the same way Jeremiah was feeling back in verse 8 of the same chapter. But God will not reject forever. And what seems like a long time to us is a short time in the eyes of God. Our hope is based on the fact that our circumstances are temporary. Our destiny is fixed and permanent. Even no matter how low we're taken in this life, our destiny is fixed. It will not change. And circumstances that seem unending in this life are only a blink in light of how long we'll be in his presence. For people who have, for example, a chronic disease, and they know from the doctors it's not going to change from whatever day they're diagnosed to the end of their life. They have this thing. But our destiny's fixed, and nothing changes. The idea is to use the circumstance for your growth and for God's glory in the intervening days and weeks and years that God has given you, that he takes you through this. That's what Jeremiah is learning and expressing here. Verse 32, For if he causes grief... Then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. And this time the words are singular. When Jeremiah opened this passage in verse 22 and referred to the loving kindnesses, plural, and the compassions, plural, he was referring to the way God acts in the moment. But here he's embraced all those actions in attributes of God. Same words, but here he's allowing those words to express something that's at the core of God's being. It's uh, built into God to be compassionate and loving and, and express loving kindness. And this is not talking about the expression here. It's talking about what God is, not what he does. 
And that's the path, path that um, Jeremiah has followed in coming to this. Still overwhelmed by the destruction of the city and the holy temple, and yet now able to see the faithfulness of God, his unchanging loving kindness in all things, even the destruction that had come upon the city and the things that were working against Jeremiah, he's able to see God's hand in it and glorify God and pass that on to you and I. Now, Lamentations goes on to lament the fall of the city as it has in the first half, but right in the center, in the core of this book, is this expression of the glory, the glorious attributes of God that allowed Jeremiah to turn away and to put into perspective this destruction that he was witnessing. And it should be no less true of each one of us as well. If Jeremiah can look on the smoldering ruins of Jerusalem and still know that God's mercies are new every morning, then surely we can face any and every trial with the same confidence. Jeremiah was looking at things that had come against him personally and against his precious city, and yet was still able to express these things about God who doesn't change, even though our circumstances do. And if he can do that in those circumstances, surely we can receive circumstances that we wouldn't have chosen on our own, knowing they are from the hand of God, and respond accordingly. I'll just close by reading from Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, meaning our trials and our difficulties, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through his Holy Spirit, who has given to us. As surely as Jeremiah allowed these catastrophic circumstances to renew in him a hope in God, we are called in the same way to exalt in our tribulations, because those tribulations bring about proven character which leads to hope. In the same way Jeremiah is drawn to hope by the circumstances that he's going through, we can embrace, exalt, rejoice in our sufferings because God uses them to grow us in hope and make us ever more dependent on him and his unchanging character. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these inspired words through the pen of Jeremiah. We thank you for all they have to teach us from the experience of Jeremiah, how going through the very worst and most dire of circumstances, he nonetheless looked to you, O Father, and he saw their loving kindnesses and compassions that allowed him to see your attributes 
of loving kindness and compassion and the faithfulness that doesn't allow these things to change. And Father, as we read this, as we see this, will you allow that this same heart be given to each one of us that we can exalt in our tribulations and rejoice in our circumstances knowing they are from your loving, caring, and faithful hand. And will you use the circumstances in our lives to grow us and to make us more like Christ? And beyond that, Father, use our circumstances to glorify yourself in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.